like to thank uh, JT for the op opportunity to speak to you, uh, to talk about God's word, what I believe is the revealed uh, will of God, and uh, what a privilege. And thank you for being here so you can listen what, hopefully we can hear what God has to say to us. Um, as you've been encountering, going through the series, uh, Encounter with God. As we just sang that he's mighty to save. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. God, thank you. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're sovereign. We thank you that you're king. We thank you that you're in control and that you're mighty to save. Even now, we ask you that, God, you speak to us, that you'll probe our hearts and search our hearts and know our hearts, examine us, and, and uh, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of my favorite uh, professors or preachers or teachers of the word once said to me, I went to him seeking some kind of wisdom or, you know, about life, about decision, and he said that, this is what he said, he said, you will give your life to something or you will throw it away at nothing. Now that seemed a little bit abstract, it seemed a little bit up there, I couldn't understand what he meant by that, you give yourself to something or you throw it away at nothing. I studied and did a little more research and I came up with another uh, piece of wisdom that he wrote. He said that you make decisions or the decisions you make will make you. You make decisions or the decisions you make will make you, will make you into something. And in the scriptures we'll encounter in the gospel of Matthew as we've been, you've been encountering, talking about God and meeting God and all that, that uh, there are several people in the scriptures that encounter God, that see God. And one of the things they find themselves uh, is that when they encounter the creator of the universe, so Jesus himself, the son of the living God, they're forced to make a decision. And so there are five kinds of people. And I think one of the things we have to think about, that the, what kind of decisions do you make? Or what kind of decision are you willing to make? Or things you're committed to putting your life at, sticking your life at. And uh, one time, one occasion, a hen and a pig approached a church and read and advertised a sermon topic. What can we do to help the poor? And immediately the hen suggested that they feed them bacon and eggs. The pig thought that for a moment and said, there's only one thing wrong with this situation. For you, it only requires a, a contribution. But for me, it requires total commitment. And there are decisions we make that some of them will just require a contribution, but others require a commitment. And so, as we discover in the scriptures, I think what Matthew in our passage we're discovering, we'll discover the passage we're covering today is, comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 8. Can you guys hear okay? I'm, I just don't know what's going on over there, so hopefully you can hear. I'm making sense there. Uh, Matthew lays out the scripture, Matthew, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. We'll go there, and just to set the context for this is that um, chapter 8, verse 18, uh, talks about when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. There we go, decision time. I'll follow you wherever you go. I've heard you teach, I've heard you preach, I've heard you explain the scriptures, I've heard you I've seen you do miracles and wonders, signs and wonders. I'll follow you wherever you go. 
what happens in verse 20, Jesus replies, he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? I mean, he's faced with a decision and he's really committed to it. And Jesus says, no, wait a minute. Foxes have holes and they have, Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Well, Jesus is saying that I know you want to make a full commitment or decision, but there some things you have to deal with that uh, the kind of lifestyle that I'm calling people to, um, the kind of lifestyle that I'm calling people to follow, the kind of uh, decisions they have to make require a total commitment, require sincerity. And what Jesus is saying is that um, you might have to check your sincerity, your commitment, your attitude, your, uh, your motivation really is not really sincere because it requires a total shift of the way you've been living your lifestyle and a turn over your life to me and I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I'm just an itinerant preacher. So are you ready to do that? And this disciple walks away. Um, teacher of the law walks away. Then another man comes in, another disciple comes and says, well, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it takes, but first let me go and bury my father, and then I'll come back later and follow you. What's the problem with that? He's forced with the same decision. He's seen Jesus. He's the, seen his miracles. He's heard the gospel. Uh, he knows that he needs repentance. He needs God's forgiveness and, and grace and mercy, and he's faced with a decision. What he does, he's like, well, I got some work to do. I got to go take care of business. In Jewish tradition, saying, let me first go and bury my father. Uh, he's literally saying that I have some responsibilities at home. Uh, teachers of the law, they honor your, uh, taught that you should honor your father and mother so that you, you, know, you might live a long life. And so he's saying that I have these several years. My dad might live about 40, 60 years or something like that. So I'm going to go back and first take care of business, and then I'll come back and follow you. And Jesus is saying that, no. I come first, not first, but I'm center. If you're going to follow me, I must be first priority. The first man's issue is sincerity, lack of sincerity. When he meets the demands of Christ of making Jesus central, he decides to walk away. The second man also faces the same situation. His priorities are not in the right uh, order. It's a test of priorities, a test of how he's... It's a test of how he's uh, thought through this whole process. He's seen Jesus on the road day in, day out, and he wants really to commit. He wants to put it, make Jesus central. He wants to uh, continue this experience that he has with Christ. But one thing comes in the way, and he's family. And Jesus says, well, it com- I come first, not family. One of the great theologians said that uh, when, Jesus bids me to, uh, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And knowing that we're fulfilling God's purposes, that we've been called to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ requires everything we got. requires sincerity. It requires realigning our priorities and our um, desires and our convictions and our commitment to make a decision for Christ. But what was interesting, there are other men, the third kind of people, there's another man who encounters Jesus this man is found in the Gospel of Luke. He tells us, um, Luke 9, 16 says that a third man who wanted to follow Christ, but he said something like, please permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, that seems a reasonable request. Don't you agree? I'm just going home and take care of business and say bye to my relatives, my friends. 
Um, that's all I got to do. And then I'll come back and I'll sign on your program. I'll make you central. I'll make a decision for you. And Jesus says that he who's not willing to live their father or mother is not worthy of me. I come first. That's the third kind of person. One who says that, that the one who is uh, limited and doesn't see what this commitment will take him, will require of him, all his efforts, all his desires, his passion, his will. And the second man who wants to first go and bury his father, and the third man who wants to be permitted, given permission to go and say goodbye to his father. So the third kind of people, uh, third kind of person. Now the fourth kind of people are the disciples. Jesus tells them, let's go on the other side, and they go on the other side, they get into the boat. And as you might know, when they get in the boat, something happens. The storms, the waves, the, they turn over the boat. It's from verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now these are the disciples, and they've signed on. They've said, okay, God, we're going to make you central. We've seen your miracles. We've seen you do signs and wonders. We've seen you, and we've seen our sin. We're willing to repent, to turn away from our wicked ways and follow you. So they're like, okay, you want us to go over the other side of the boat, continue the plan and your priorities? We're going to go. And so Jesus told these professional boaters to go on the other side, these competent boat handlers, they go out at night. You've got to understand that they can't see. What's going to happen to them, you can almost see it happening if you've seen the perfect storm, you know. But all they've done is really obey Christ's command and Christ's uh, call to follow. They don't know what Jesus is going to do. They're completely in the will of God because they have obeyed. The Bible says that a furious sprawl comes tumbling on the boat and all the waves broke over the boat. And it's nearly sinking. It was like an earthquake in the sea. It is what you would call a perfect storm. If you're in a cheap boat and the storm broke out, you can imagine what could happen. It's like a tornado coming through the fault lines of the ocean. Have you ever been in a boat where the waves washed over the roof of the boat? The disciples were so scared to death. that. Have you ever been in a boat that you thought it was going down? Have you ever been in a boat that was taking so much water you know the bill pumps couldn't pump it out. Have you ever found yourself in a boat with a certain awareness that you might not see the shore? You might not see the other side. You're going to die. You have no flares. You have no life jackets. You have no second chances. You don't have any plans. This is what happens for the disciples. The fourth group we encounter in the Gospel of Matthew. They're stuck. They're in the middle of the storm. They're professional fishermen. Jesus is not a professional fisherman. He asked these disciples who are professional fishermen, let's go on the other side, and he is, expects that they'll get there safe. But as you know the story, feasts of water, we're smacking on the side of the boat. The boat would ring, cringing. The spine of the boat is tilted. He's banging on the wood, ring, cringing. They are out there in the boat, things nearly going south. The fury of the wind, the intensity of the storm, the coax, come between the spine of the boat like it's going to snap. They wonder, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He told us to get into the boat. 
He called us to make a decision for him. We're committed to him. Where is he? We could have used his help. Is it too late? We're running out of time. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. As you know the story, he's sleeping, having a nap after a long day of service in God's kingdom. They felt like he wasn't aware of their situation because he was sleeping. Now, have you ever felt like that Jesus wasn't caring about your situation, your problems, your concerns, your emergencies? How do you handle a God who chooses not to speak in your emergencies when you're in the crucible of your tribulation? How do you worship a Christ like that, that he's mighty to save? He's mighty to save when your family has been in Egypt for nearly four generations and God has not stopped by and you're still making bricks without straw. How do you handle Jesus who tells you, get in the boat and go to the other side, but he goes to sleep when your life is in danger? How do you handle Jesus when you, like Paul, have preached and served and committed yourself to God's work? You're thrown in jail, beaten. How do you handle Jesus like that? When you choose to abstain from a sexual relationship, you know, it's not God-honoring, you will choose a life of, of purity. You choose to wait. You choose to put off the wedding. You choose to move out. And then your friends despise you. And they're like, we don't understand. Something doesn't resonate. There's something going on. Something is wrong. You choose to make a decision for Christ. You choose to make Christ center, central to your life. Uh, and they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You're denying your physical appetite. You're denying the things you want. Or you live a disciplined life. You study hard and... You find yourself in a situation where you can't, your GPA is low, your finances are out of whack, you're exercising, you're doing everything you can, but your weight keeps shooting out of the roof. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He's mighty to save. You commit some hours to serve on Saturday to go in the city. You forego sleeping in and just commit yourself to following Jesus Christ and then they tell you, they release you at your place of work, and everything turns upside down. You want to marry and do the courtship thing God's way, but you're not finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Have you ever felt like that when you encountered Christ? These are disciples. They're in the boat. They've trusted the life of Jesus Christ, and they're committed all the way. They've left their wives. They've left their businesses. They've left everything for the sake of Christ. They've dedicated themselves. They've given time. They've given money. They've sacrificed just for the cause of Christ. And the rag is pulled from underneath. What do you do in that kind of situation? So the disciples feel frustrated. They feel betrayed. You can detect that in the text. They're saying, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Don't you care that we're, we drown? Don't you care that we're going under? Don't you care that we're, we're going to be destroyed? What they didn't realize is the person that was in the boat. It's the one that created the universe, the one who spoke the world into being. Said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who created the sun and the moon. The one who controls the universe, the powers of the universe. They're frustrated. Teacher, don't you care? And Jesus gets up and is like, you men of little faith. They're afraid. They're fearful. 
They're sincere. They're not like the other disciples. Their priority is in the right place, as we said earlier, but their faith is being tested to the max. Look what Jesus does. He simply starts up and realizes the situation. Archaeologists say that it was about a 20-foot boat. Uh, it, it's that, it, it, if that is true, there are a lot of people hoping that Jesus does something or they're not sure they're going to make it. The Alpha and Omega is in the boat. Jesus starts moving in front of the boat. His clothes is wet. His clothes are all mudded down. His disciples trying to get out of the way so that, they, so that they don't want to see the boat capsize. His eyes intense. Now the water is up to his knees. His beard filled with salt. His hair is mudded back. Jesus stands at the bow and puts his foot on the plane and stares at the wind. He looks like the wind is going to take him. He says, be quiet. Instantly, one minute they're drowning. The next time, they don't have a wind to get them on the other side of the shore. He says, be quiet. You see, faith in Jesus' ability to care for the disciples is the most, in the most fearful situations of life. In situations such as when you find a loved one who has a sickness, when you find you're in a situation, life-threatening storm, and no one seems to care, no one seems to understand, you're alone, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're, uh, you, you re- you've received some wrenching news of a friend who's caught in a car accident, your faith being tested to the max. You made a good decision to follow Christ with sincerity. Your priorities were in the right order. You committed to Christ. You made him central. You encountered his power. But now you're stuck. You're in the middle of it all. What do you do? Jesus stands up and says, peace, peace, be still. Now, for the disciples, they're looking at him, they're like, what is going on, you know? Can you imagine what sort of man is this? What kind of man is this that, who can speak to the winds, to the waves, to the storms that they obey? The natural order, the physical world, the physical realm, they listen to what, he, to what happens, what he says, his command. Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, or things were created by him and for him. He created it all. He says, peace, be still. Now the next paragraph in that text is the fifth kind of person that you've covered probably this week. The, uh, the two men, the demoniac. I'm not going to say anything m- much about that, but you can imagine what was happening at the sea inside of this person, inside of these two men. The turmoil, the, 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 the waves, the wind, the inner anxiety, and all filled up into human beings. And then Jesus steps out and says, come out of him. Jesus, again, demonstrating that he has power over the spiritual world, not just the natural order, the seas and whatever, and the waters, but also over the spiritual world. So what kind of decision are you going to make? Are you going to be the kind of person, you're going to be the first person, first disciples we talked about, 
who, when he, Jesus confronted him with the demands of discipleship, he was like, I'm not sure I want to do that because it would require a total turnaround, a different lifestyle, or are you going to you're going to be like the other disciples who wanted to go and take care of family business and bury the dead and take care of his father. Or are you going to be like the disciples and get in the boat and make a decision for Christ and then your faith will be tested and you're still going to stand and say, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, I don't know your situation. You may feel or even think that God is asleep for a while, but he will. God will speak. Like he spoke during the disciples when they're in the boat. Uh, there's, you know this as we sang. Sorry about that. On Friday, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the Son of God crying out, saying, Why have you forsaken me? And God said nothing. In fact, the Son protested and began to have a full eclipse because the moon came between the sun and the earth, but God said nothing. The moon began to drip like it was hemorrhaging, but God said nothing. The earth was like an inebriated man and began to reel and rock, but God said nothing. And even the Roman centurion began to protest and say, surely this must be the Son of God, but God said nothing. Nothing on Friday, nothing on Saturday, Nothing on Saturday morning, nothing on Saturday night, but early Sunday morning, he broke the silence and began to speak. When you face a crisis in your life, remember that Jesus is God and that his presence is with you in any life-threatening situation. Notice, you notice in the scriptures, we, Jesus says that don't you have any faith, don't you have any faith in the good, in the good in the God who created the cosmic order. Don't you know that God has got everything under control? Don't you know that God is sovereign? Don't you know that God is good? But as you already know, human beings, when we face those life-threatening situations, when we encounter God and uh, we get into the valley of shadow of death, our faith wavers. We have little faith. Storms of life are not evidence of God's absence, but of God's presence. And it is in those experiences of being broken that God does his surest and most characteristic salvation work. The real test of faith doesn't happen when everything is rosy. When things are good, but even in the midst of the storms. Someone told a story about how life is filled with God-appointed storms life-threatening situation, a sheet of paper ten times the size would be insufficient to list the whirlwinds of our lives. If I were to ask all of you here what are the, some of the situations you've experienced in life, we would fill tons and tons of paper, probably staples or uh, FedEx that would not have enough paper to handle the problems and things we face in life. But two things should comfort us in the midst of daily lightning and thunder. First, we all experience them. Second, we all need them. God has no method more effective. The massive blows and shattering blasts, not to mention the small, but also the constant irritations, 
They smoothen us, they humble us, and force us to submit to the role that God has chosen for us. William Cooper could take, this, uh, could take the stand in defense of all that he had written. He passed through a period of great crisis in his life. Finally, one bleak morning, he tried to put an end to it all by taking poison. The attempt at suicide, committing suicide, failed. He then hired a coach who was driven to the Thame River, intending to throw himself from the bridge, but he was strangely restrained. The next morning, he fell in a shock knife, but the blade broke. He later tried to hang himself, but was found and taken down unconscious, still alive. Sometime later, he took up a Bible, began to read the book of Romans, and was gloriously saved. He came to decision. The God of the storms had pursued him, and to the end, and he won his heart. After rich life and Christian experience, he sat down and recorded a summary of the Lord's dealings with him in familiar words. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rise upon the storm. Friends, Jesus is a force to be reckoned with. And you have to make a decision, a sincere decision. You have to realign your priorities when you commit to faith, your faith will be tested beyond belief. But you still have to make the decision. Because when you link your life with Jesus Christ, when you commit, when you choose Christ, when you encounter the creator of the universe, the one who died on the cross for your sin, your sincerity, your priorities, even your faith will be tested. But in the midst of those situations, Jesus is present to walk with you in your commitment. Thank you. JT.